and good morning. We're finishing up. This is the last of our series on worship from 1 Corinthians, the New Testament letter of 1 Corinthians. We're wrapping up today. Hopefully you've been encouraged about what worship's all about and and, and how God calls us to himself to worship. Um, That, you know, God has chosen to work through us despite our weariness and our imperfect service and our struggles and all the things that weigh us down because it's about him and not about us, you see. And that's why God can, can use us as people, as a congregation. Um, <clears throat> we started the series back, I think it was the beginning of September, with the Lord's Supper. We're going to end it with the Lord's Supper. And that's very appropriate. Because worship, we can worship because of what Christ has done, you see. And, 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 and worship each week is to remind us of what Christ has done. And so we, we end today with the a, with a Lord's Supper celebration. Of course, uh, we've talked about the four goals of worship here at Faith that uh, we constantly keep before us, the, that our worship must glorify God. It must be not man-centered, but God-centered worship. He, it's the, he's the creator, not us. He's the maker, not us. It should exalt Jesus Christ because it's because of him that we can worship. It's because of Jesus that we can approach God's holy throne. It should edify believers. It should, it should build up and strengthen one of, uh, the believers, th- those who gather who know Christ, that we come together to be strengthened to go and serve out in the world. That also should be a, there should be a sense of welcome to those who are not believers yet. We talked about the fact that we're a family, but it's not a closed family. That a family can grow. A family should grow. We should want the family to grow. Four goals of worship. Yesterday was, uh, of course, the Advent concert. You're all very tired. In fact, I thought about calling this sermon a word for weary worshipers. Because I bet that's what we are. But I'm not going to call it that. Let's look at the text. And the text, we la- last week we looked at chapter 16. We're jumping back to this last chapter because I think it, it's great to finish this with the resurrection. Uh, chapter 15, verses 1 to 11, and then 58. 58 will be our main verse this morning. Read on the overhead there. 1 to 11 and then 58. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, says Paul. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. And then down at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. God's word. My title is simply, Keep On Keeping On. Keep on keeping on. Jesus knows that we need to keep on. 
keeping on, to persecute, to endure, to finish. So he encourages us to stay in the battle because his certain victory will mean our certain blessing. Now, we need strength to persevere. We need strength to endure in our lives because life is tough, isn't it? And uh, we have to keep our eyes on the prize. How do we do that? You know, we easily grow weary in our Christian lives. We easily grow weary in our walk. And we tend to grow tired in our service for Christ. And we stray from a single-hearted devotion to him and to his kingdom. But because of the gospel and the certain hope that's in the gospel, we can endure, we can persevere as we live for, for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm, but mostly what I'm going to do today is talk about verse 58. I want to talk about verse 58. I'm going to look at this command, and then I'm going to talk about some applications of this command, that, that we can keep on believing, we can keep on hoping, we can keep on serving in light of what this chapter tells us. First is this command. My beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You know, there are really three commands here, and there's also a reason given in, in this text. The first word is therefore. It's a connective word, of course. Charles Spurgeon has a great message. So I'm going to use some of his uh, quotes from Charles Spurgeon, the Baptist pastor over 100 years ago in England. He said, in this present chapter, though he has been dealing with the fact of resurrection, and, and this, this chapter is a resurrection chapter, and arguing with all his might in defense of it, he cannot close until he has said, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Spurgeon says, my brethren, this is a lesson for us. Let us never reckon that we have learned a doctrine until we have seen its bearing upon our lives. Whatever we discover in God's word, let us pray the Holy Spirit to make us feel the sanctifying influence of it. Let us follow up the truth to its practical therefore. Let us love the practice of holiness as much as the belief of the truth. The practice as well as the belief. Therefore, to, to whom is this command? It's to my beloved brothers. He knows the church at Corinth. He says, my beloved brothers, the saints at Corinth, we've talked about this. They're set apart by God. They're not perfect, but they're saints because they're holy in Jesus Christ. Anyone who is in Christ is a saint. Anyone who's in Christ is beloved of God. John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Your beloved brothers, 1 John 3, what kind of love the Father has given to us that we could be called children of God? And so we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. It's a word to beloved brothers. And those who know Christ are part. It's, 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 it's for you. It's for us who know Christ. And there are three commands. And it's, they're kind of staccato commands. Be steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding in the Lord's work. Okay, so the words are quite interesting. Some of the commentators have talked about these words. Steadfast. Be steadfast. It's to be strong, to be firm, confident in the faith, says Barnes, in view of the truth that you will be raised up. Be not shaken or agitated with the strifes, the temptations, and the cares of life. 
And Clark says, in the original language, it has to do with a seat. The word steadfast has to do with seated. Be settled. Con confide in the truth of this doctrine of the resurrection and everything that pertains to it. As confidently as a man sits down on a seat, which he knows to be solid and firm and safe, and on which he has often sat. Be steadfast. Unmovable. And Carr says, the word unmovable means not moved from a place, firmly persistent, motionless. He says there are many times when stubbornness is not appropriate. But in the Lord's work, a good dose of bullheadedness is perfectly in order. <laughs> we must allow nothing to move us from our determination to serve the Lord. Unmovable. Steadfast, unmovable, always Abounding in the Lord's work. Abounding, that's not a word we use often. It's, an old, it's kind of King Jamesism that, con that continues in our ESV translation. Carr says, the abounding has the idea of exceeding a fixed amount, overflowing, exceeding. Barnes says, always engaged in doing the will of God, in promoting his glory, and advancing his kingdom. Abounding in the Lord's work. Spurgeon says, the text calls this service the work of the Lord. And we must ever bear this in mind so that if we are, are enabled to abound in Christian service, we may never become proud. But we may remember that it is God's work in us rather than our work, the work of the Lord. Whatever we accomplish is accomplished rather by God in us than by us for God. Jesus tells us, without me, you could do nothing. That's in John 15. Always abound, my brethren, Spurgeon says. Not only in work, but for the Lord, but work of the Lord in yourselves. For only as he works in you to will and to do, will you be able to work in his name acceptably. It's the work of the Lord. Be steadfast. I'm always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, there's a reason for the command. There's a reason for the command. Um, and that's the next phrase. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. We heard a song about a labor that wasn't in vain on that Christmas uh, evening. Your labor, but th 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 this gives us the reason for, that, for, that, for the, these commands. Now, <clears throat> the idea of, of being in vain, it, the first part of the chapter, we, he used the word vain three times. I, I didn't, I've never noticed that until studying this passage. Uh, in, in verse 2, when he first talk, before he introduces the gospel, he talks about the gospel. He says, look, look at verse 15, 1 to 2. By which you were, you were being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. About believing, uh, believing in vain, having no, no meaning in that. And then verse 10. By the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Again. So being in vain is on the mind of Paul. He's now wraps up in this climactic verse talking about uh, uh, knowing that, that, that our, our life, our labor, it does have meaning. It does have meaning. It is not in vain because of what Christ has done. Because of the cross. I think of the song by the Gaithers. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. The, 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 the cross gives meaning to life. The resurrection of Christ gives meaning to our lives. <clears throat> Adam Clark says, you must not only work, but you must labor. Labor, not just work. Put forth all your strength. You must work and labor in the Lord under his direction. 
and by his influence. For without him, you can do nothing. And this labor cannot be in vain. You, you shall have a resurrection unto eternal life. You see, there's, a, there's an end to your labors, is what he says. Not because you have labored, but because Christ died and gave you grace to be faithful. There's a wonderful end, not because of your labor, but because Christ has died for you. And so we, 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 we labor with great hope and great anticipation, not in vain. In, in, in this chapter, before verses 58, there are three great truths that Paul has talked about. The first truth is the truth of Jesus' death, the historic fact of Jesus' death. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, what he says there. And um, he, he touched on that, but then he goes right into the resurrection. You know, even the skeptics of secular history um, record the historic fact of Christ's death. You know that? That Christ lived and he died and he, 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 the, the, the declaration of believers is that he rose again. Josephus, Flavius Josephus is a, the, the, the famous Jewish historian. And he wrote about Jesus Christ. He was a Jewish historian writing about the history of the Jews. And he wrote this. About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. Question of faith. For he was one who performed surprising deeds and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Christ, or the Messiah, the Jewish word. And when upon the accusation of the principal men among us, Pilate had condemned him to a cross, those who had first come to love him did not cease. He appeared to them spending a third day restored to life, for the prophets of God had foretold these things and a thousand other marvels about him. And the tribe of the Christians, so called after him, has still to this day not disappeared. That's a Jewish historian who wrote those words. The, the, you, you cannot deny the historical fact that Jesus Christ lived and he died on a cross and that believers believed he rose again. And even secular people say, there's something going on there. The truth of Jesus' death, the truth of his resurrection, the historical fact of that. You know, in this passage earlier in, in, in the first 11 verses, actually verse, verses 5 to 8, Paul lists He's arguing for the resurrection. That's what he's doing there. Is because he's going to talk about the resurrection of believers. But first he wants to give the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And, 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 and that Jesus was seen by 500 people and by, and, and by, by Peter and by, by me and by, by James, the, lead, the, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he, say, and he says, and, and the, people, the, the, the people who he, he, he appeared to are still alive. Go talk to them. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. <laughs> You can, the credible witnesses, it wasn't a, a mass hallucination that Jesus Christ did rise on the third day and walked on this earth and went to glory. So the, the, the truth of the, of the resurrection of Jesus is where he goes, and, but then he, he shifts, and the rest of the chapter from verses really 12 to 57, the resurrection of believers. He says, if Jesus rose, how can you say there's no resurrection? Jesus is the first fruits. He's the first one. He's going to bring many sons to glory, as the scriptures say. The truth of the resurrection. That's our hope, you see. And so Paul is trying to get us to see that hope in the midst of the, the weary road that we tread. That's the command. Be steadfast and move always abounding in the Lord's work. Now, I want to apply it in three different ways, these simple ways, but three Simple but difficult ways for us to do 
in the here and now. The first is to simply keep on believing it. Keep on believing. Keep on believing this gospel that Christ died for our sins. And worship, the primary function of worship is to remember. (laughs) It's to keep on remembering these truths. That the truth that is can stay before us. It's a weekly reminder of the gospel realities. That despite unbelief that props up in your heart, we, we keep on believing. Despite hypocrisy that might come through your life, keep on believing. Despite unfulfilled dreams, keep on believing. Despite cynicism that you might hear about this, keep on believing. You know, the first day of the week as we gather, we're joining the chorus of praise. It's an eternal chorus of praise that's going on through the ages, in the heavens, on earth. You know, the angels around the throne are worshiping God 24-7. The saints who have gone on are now worshiping around the throne. And on the first day of the week, God begins a chorus of worship on earth. It starts way in the Far East, I guess, where they begin. Australia, China, it moves to Russia, Middle East, and Europe, and then it comes to the Americas, all over the planet, you see. There's a crescendo of folk who are pausing to lift up praise to Jesus Christ, who 2,000 years ago lived in about about a 100-mile radius in the Middle East. Didn't travel far, when you think about it. But for years, decades, centuries, all over the world, praises have been lifted up to him because he is the King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords. So the point is simply this. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. So despite all these things, we should, we, we can, we must keep on believing even when it doesn't look like it's true. Keep on believing this. Second, keep on hoping. Hoping. Hope. Again, most of this chapter is about the resurrection, the reality of resurrection. We need to embrace that historic reality of Christ's resurrection and the certainty doctrinally it says about us, because he was raised, we shall be raised. You remember Jesus' friend Lazarus when Lazarus died in John chapter 11? And, there, and, 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 and there was weeping and all that, and they said, come on, Jesus, do something, say something, come here. Jesus, Jesus sort of procrastinated in that passage. I, and you, I, mean, I hate to use that word, but that seemed what it looks like. He just didn't come when they asked him to come. But he, when he came, his friend Lazarus was dead. But in the face of death, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives in me, lives and believes in me shall never die. So Jesus raised him from death. And, it, and, it's a, and it's a picture of what he will do for all of us who trust him. That we will be raised because we're, if we're in Jesus, we're in one who is the resurrection and life, not death. See, the truth of the resurrection is not wishful thinking. It's certain fact because of who Jesus is. That's what Paul wants us to understand. It's not just wishful thinking. It's certain fact. The kingdom, he said in this this chapter, shall be handed over to the Lord Jesus, uh, from the Lord Jesus to the Father after the last enemies are defeated. Biblical hope is not just a wish. Biblical hope is certainty. Do you understand that? Biblical hope is certainty. Do we embrace that certainty? The prophecies and the biblical teaching about the future 
is not wishful thinking. It's the eternal God allowing us to see the future, allowing us to see what really is. He, he, it's, it's God showing us the last chapter of the book. And guess how it ends? Jesus wins. You see, that's the great news. That's the great news. Um, whenever the Olympics are showing, the, when you watch the news, they tell you, okay, we're going to tell you who won the Olympics because the Olympics was, you know, in China somewhere and it's you know, earlier in the day. And so they say, look, uh, there's a, here's a spoiler alert. If you, you, you want to watch it live, then, turn, then mute your sound for like 30 seconds. And so you could do that. You can, you know, okay, they say, okay, you can, now you can turn it back up. Because some people, they like to experience as they go through, uh, um, um, they, want, they want to experience the ups and downs and the feelings and then experience the victory. Okay? Well, God didn't do history like that. God, did, God gives us the spoiler alert, if, 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 if I might put it that way. No, God, God, God tells us how it's going to end because he wants us to be encouraged by that ending. He wants us to know the certainty of that ending. See, because sometimes we're not convinced that Jesus is going to win, are we? Don't you go through times where you think, I don't know how it's going to end up. God knows that without the certainty of the end, some of us might just go AWOL and chuck it through discouragement. No, Satan loses and Jesus wins. And if that's true, then you are in Jesus, you win. That's history in a nutshell. But because we forget or we doubt or grow weary, God has designed us a way to remember, and that way is public worship. That's one of the primary ways. Worship reminds us that Jesus really is king and that this world is not all that there is. So we join with the resurrected saints through the ages who have gone before us. Jesus the first fruit, the firstborn of the dead is the prime worshiper. And the kingdom is here, but it's not here fully. But the kingdom is certain. You know, in First Peter, they talk about some scoffers and skeptics who, who mocked the fact that he hadn't returned again. Peter talks about that. They say, where is the promise of his coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. You know, it does seem like a long time. Because he's patient, not willing that any should perish, that Pashas tells us later on. The resurrection is, is, is a wonderful truth. And, and, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is a truth that sometimes we forget about. But there's times in our life when it really, it's really important to remember it. Several weeks ago, when, when Sister Joyce Carter was desperate in the hospital, and she's still there. But we, when we met with the family, we talked about the reality of God's promises. And those promises are real. Those promises are real. I, when I think about the fact that after two, more than two weeks, the Lord is sustaining her. There's a message there. That we don't know if the Lord's going to completely heal her or if this is, this is a slow transition. We don't know. God, God is aware of these things. We're not. But I think of, of Philippians chapter 1, where the apostle Paul was in prison. And he wasn't sure if he was going to die in prison. He didn't die in that imprisonment. He died later. But he said to the Philippians, he says this, With full courage, courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. That Christ might be honored in my body through life or death. For, verse 21 of chapter 1 of Philippians, For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. 
If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. That's far better for me. He didn't say that, but that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account, for you, that he might be there. And, and, that, and that's the reality that we all have, that we get to a point in our life where we just get weary and we say, hey, you know, I'd, like, I'd love to be with Jesus. And, and God says, no, not yet, because I want, there's, there's a purpose for you being here. There's a purpose for you being here, to bless somebody, to, that someone might be encouraged, that someone, that someone might see my glory through your life at that point. Philippians chapter 1. Spurgeon says, uh, our work of faith is not in vain, because we shall rise again. If what we do for God were to have its only reward on earth, it were a poor prospect. Strike out the hope of the hereafter, and the Christian's reward will be gone. But, beloved, we shall rise again. We shall sit upon our Savior's throne, even as he sits upon his Father's throne. Our heads shall have crowns to deck them. Our hands shall wave the palm of victory. We shall put on the white robe, the victor's apparel. We shall stand around the throne in triumph and shall behold and share the glories of the Son of God. Oh, brethren, shrink not, Spurgeon says, for the, the crown is just within your reach. Never think of diminishing your service. Rather, increase it, for the reward is close at hand. Keep on hoping. Keep on hoping. And then keep on serving. Keep on serving. The, these staccato commands come in, 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 in a sense, they, they're almost like a, a soldier told to, to stand his ground. I think of the, we heard the song, I'm Still Standing. I think of, of, of how appropriate that song is. You gave me courage to believe that all your goodness I would see. But not, had not been for you standing by my side, where would I be? Not for your goodness, if not for your grace, I don't know where I would be today. Not for your kindness, I never could say that I'm still standing. But I'm standing. I'm standing by the grace of God. And we can keep on serving because of God's grace. There are two reasons that, that people stop serving and laboring. There's two, at least two reasons that I want to look at. One, one is, is just being tired of the labor. You're tired. You're tired of serving. Weariness can keep you from, it, it, it can get you to slow down and, and, and even get you to stop serving. Weariness. And, and though, though not weary, you may stop because you're serving and serving, but you don't see any impact or any, any um, production from your service. And so you think your service isn't worth it. That you're not accomplishing anything through serving the Lord. That your labor is in vain. Paul reminds us that that's not true. That's not true. You may not see things changing, but things are changing. That's why in this chapter, the apostles reminded them of the great realities of the gospel, you see? That therefore, death has been conquered. That, that, that Jesus is the first fruits of those who will be raised. That sin has been conquered through Jesus. That in the future, all things will be subject to him that he will in the end turn the kingdom over to his father and that we have ultimate victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, because Jesus is the victorious king and lord, the labor of those who are in Christ, the saints throughout, the, throughout history, you and me and believers scattered around the world, our labor, even our labor in this world that sometimes seems meaningless, it has eternal meaning. 
eternal value. It is not in vain. So Paul says we can labor on with confident faith and with enduring hope and with even a supernatural love. Now, setbacks, though, can discourage us. When, you, when there's a setback, we get discouraged, don't we? I was thinking about um, maybe your favorite football team might endure an injury sometimes, and someone goes down, they say. He goes down. They lay there, and they, they limp off. And sometimes they're carried off. And sometimes they're carted off. And when that happens, there's a sober reality that goes through the team and through the stands. We both, but the, the team has an injured player. They automatically go into a, a mode that's very popular saying, it's, it's, they just say, next man up. Next man up. That's the phrase. That when one is hurting, someone's got to step up. And we've seen that this year with, with, with the Ravens. as Joe Flacco. I think it was his ribs he hurt. Ribs are back. Lamar Jackson stepped up, grabbed his helmet, strapped it up, and jumped in. The team doesn't quit. They keep on keeping on. They hope to win. They, and that hope motivates them. We have an even certain hope. We know the end of the story. We know the score at the end of the game, you see. And so we're encouraged to keep on keeping on because of the certainty of, of our faith. We can keep on keeping on no matter how weary we get, no matter how tired we get. Many of you this the past few weeks have heard the story of the martyrdom of, of John Chow, to a, a, this 26-year-old um, missionary. Let me read from uh, Jim, Dr. Jim Dennison's uh, blog. John Allen Chow was 26 years old, native of Vancouver, Washington. He led missionary trips around the world for Christ. This month, he traveled, I think it was November, he, he traveled to the North, Cent North Sentinel Islands in India's Bay of Bengal to share Christ with the Sinhalese tribe. Its members have been isolated for centuries, rejecting all contact with the larger world and reacting with violence when outsiders have attempted to interact with them. Their island is off limits to visitors under Indian law. Chow hired local fishermen to transport him within a half mile of the island. He then used a canoe to reach the island's shore, returning later in the day. On his second trip, the tribespeople broke his canoe, forcing him to swim back to the boat. On his third trip, he did not come back. The fishermen said they later saw tribespeople dragging his body around. Indian authorities have now begun the artist's work of trying to retrieve his body without triggering a conflict with the islanders. Before he left the boat for the last time, Chow wrote a note to his family. You guys might think I'm crazy in all this, but I think it's worthwhile to declare Jesus to these people. He then added, please do not, do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. Rather, please live your lives in obedience to whatever he has called you to, and I will see you again when you pass through the veil. John Chow's story raises numerous questions. Among them, was it ethical to, to risk exposing the North Sentinelese to diseases for which they have no immunities? I think every article that I've seen on this episode talks about that question. He, he says, how did Chow expect to communicate with them if he didn't understand their language or culture? I understand now he, he went through lots of culture training, cross-cultural training through, through his mission agents to the nations. Um, what, was it appropriate for him to seek contact with people who clearly did not want him on their island? But here's the larger theological question, Denison says. Do the North Centralese need to hear about Jesus? 
See, our secular culture would answer loudly in the negative. Live and let live is the mantra of our day. We should expect secular people to think this way. In their worldview, all truth claims are relative, and tolerance is the highest of values. And as a result, a Christian who shares the gospel with others is seen as forcing his or her beliefs on them. It's conventional wisdom today that we might witness with our lives that we should avoid open, offending people with our words. And he concludes by saying this, whatever we think of John Tao's methods, it is vital that we imitate his passion. It is vital that we imitate his passion. Many of you, when you heard that story like I did, you thought about, if you're old enough, you thought about another young man about the same age, 28 years old, named Jim Elliott. From the 1950s, I heard this story when I went to my first Urbana and was blown away. The Alka Indians in, in, in South America. He and several others went to, to reach this tribe, and they were speared to death. His wife, Elizabeth Elliott, part of that team, she didn't, wasn't there that day, but she, the, the team they gathered said, we're going to continue the work. And eventually that tribe was evangelized and came to Christ. They were motivated by the setback that had happened. They didn't give up. They endured. They persevered, knowing the promises of Christ. John Chow, Jim Elliott, are they, are they fools or are they heroes? It's a question you have to ask yourself. Are they fools or are they heroes? In the eyes of the world, they are fools. To those who believe, who have eyes to perceive and ears to hear, and who understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they are heroes who count the cost and serve their Lord with great faith, great hope, knowing that their salvation was secured by Jesus, and great love for people who need to know Christ in, force, in the face of great danger. Jim Elliott's famous quote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You know, all of our labor, all of our labor has meaning, eternal meaning, because Jesus Christ died on a cross to purchase eternal life for those who would believe. And we gather and worship each week, each Sunday to, to, to remember that. And every, four, every first Sunday we do that through celebrating the table of the Lord to encourage one another to stay in the game, to not quit, to keep believing, to keep hoping keep serving, to not grow weary in doing good. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you know, the, 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 the solution is very simple. To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins, that he rose again and lives today to give you eternal salvation and eternal hope. It's not to wait and do something other than that. What you do is believe. Turn and believe in the God. Believe that you need this gospel and believe that Jesus satisfies the problem that we have with God the Father. But this table is for those who understand that gospel, who understand that Christ died for our sin and are resting in that with all of our imperfections and all our frailties, knowing that it's about him, not about us. This table is, is the Lord's table and he invites those who know Christ and are serving in his church, and, 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 and who are members and standing of his church, and, and the children who have been invited through, the, through their parents and through the session 
to, to partake of these elements. But again, if you, if you don't know this and don't understand this and it's, it's new to you or not clear to you, let the elements pass by. The scriptures say that we receive a blessing when we receive the elements, a, a, a nourishment. God gives it, does a grace, a work of grace and love in our, in our hearts and lives. But if we take it hypocritically, not really believing those things, but just to take it, it's like, it's like we're taking poison to our spirits rather than blessing into our spirits. So we give you a moment to, to, to talk to God, to, to say, Lord, I'm unworthy. Make me worthy by the blood of Jesus. Take the moment to do that. I think of that phrase in that song, nothing in my hands do I bring, simply to your cross do I cling. Well, that's the testimony of each of us who come to this table. We have, we have nothing to offer you. Just a sinful heart, sinful life. Yet, because we cling to the cross, we, you, bold, you talk to boldly come to you. We do that now. Use these elements to give us a sense of your presence, a sense of your love, and a joy that will help us to endure the tough times of this life. We give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Yes, officers to come forward. Tonight that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and broke it, said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took the cup. Said, this cup is a new covenant, shed for the remission of sins. Drink it, remembrance of me. Whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim or announce my death till I come again. We do that. We, we, we experience, we, we, we look back to what he did. We have the, the, the present reality of these elements, and we look forward to these coming again to take us to be with him. The body of Christ broken for us. blood of Christ. Drink all of it together. That's peace be with you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the simplicity of these elements, reminding us of the, the simplicity of believing in you for salvation and the hope that that brings. Strengthen us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's, let's close with the doxology. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost to God's glory.